Welcome to the Blue Jays from Away podcast, episode 73. In this episode, we bring you part of my wide-ranging chat with Wesley James about the state of the Blue Jays, and, at long last, my interview with shortstop Kevin Smith, recorded back in spring training. We'd like to thank all of our premium content subscribers at Blue Jays from Away, as well as everyone who has purchased the 2018 Toronto Blue Jays Minor League Handbook. Now that the season is over, we're looking forward to putting together the 2019 edition in the coming months. Stay tuned, but until then, here's episode number 73 of the Blue Jays from Away podcast. Welcome back to the Blue Jays from Away podcast. I am joined by Wesley James. We're going to talk about a lot of the baseball and a lot of the things that happened this year uh, for the Toronto Blue Jays and their minor league system. Uh, We've got a lot of great uh, insights for you. And we also want to talk to Wes because he, he was on a big, long trip out west this year and uh, he got a chance to see some uh, parks, ballparks that you know we won't always see, and uh, I believe he went to Helena, Montana, to see the the Brewers there. I sure did, and I uh, got to say hi to the general manager for a for a quick second, and I also saw Batista play with the Mets in Colorado, uh, and I saw the uh, Jays game in Seattle. And you also went to Vancouver and got a chance to see the Canadians there. I did, I did. Uh, they were playing uh, the the team from. Uh, just outside of Portland, uh, and then actually went to Portland and saw, um, uh, they're called the Hops. Uh, Hillsborough. The Hillsborough Hops, yep. Uh, and I saw actually saw the Hillsborough Hops twice. Okay, so uh, let's get right to it. Um, we're going to start talking about, you know, some of the parks out west. You know, I've been to, I think the furthest western ballpark I've been to is Wrigley Field, and that was ages ago, almost almost 20 years ago. It's, it shows how, how old I'm getting. Uh, I've, I've been to probably about a dozen major league parks and some of them are no longer in service because it's been that long since I've been to them, but I haven't been able to get out West, haven't been able to get to Colorado or Seattle. Um, you know, tell us a little bit, first of all, you know, what about, what's, what's the big league atmosphere in Colorado like? It was really cool. It's a, that's a sweet park. Um, they have, it's called Mile High Stadium, but there's actually a line of seats around the top. Uh, in the like what we would sort of understand as the 500 level, uh, where there was exactly a mile, and we drove almost straight from Toronto to Denver, and you feel the altitude. And I, for a lot of those guys playing a series there, I, I imagine does would affect their play. Never mind the play of the ball. So, do they offer oxygen tanks uh, at the concession stands? I would imagine they should, especially for the uh, you know older players and uh, and the uh, and all of the fans. Um, So what's the experience like seeing a game there? I mean, how are the Rockies? How are the fans? Uh, What are the sight lines like? I know you're a mile up, but obviously you're not a mile up from the the field. No, it's a cool 
it's the sidelines are amazing. It's one of the newer stadiums. Um, the team was celebrating 25 years uh, at this point. So in, in it was kind of in that realm of stadiums that was built as, as, as the first wave of the of the new stadiums. It's beautiful. Um, you could you used to be able to see apparently a much better view. I had a lot of fans around me complaining that they were uh, building condos in the uh, over the left field fence, but uh, it looked still looked pretty pretty cool to me. We were there right at sunset. You know where they've built uh, condos over the left field fence, Lansing, right? <laughs> yeah, it's a common thing. It's everywhere now. They're beautiful. And you know what are the concessions like uh, compared to Rogers Center, our, our home away from home? I mean, it's interesting when you hear sh- sh- like Shatkins talk about uh, what they need to do for the for the new stadium, and it's really true. As soon as you go to the states, all of the ballparks have far more amenities and far more options for food. It's just, it's a way better, it's a far better experience, really, in, in a lot of ways, as much as I enjoy going to the Dome. Was there anything in particular you tried? Uh, any of the craft beer, any of the uh, um, unique selections on the menu? Uh, in Yeah, in Colorado, there's a, there's a lot. There's actually like a whole bunch of bars around the the play the the stadium as well and that that have a lot of and beer in the states especially in the west is just it's where the beer revolution happens so it's it's pretty exciting all right so on a scale from you know sky dome to you gotta go there where where do you put uh coors field it's not fenway or wrigley those are the my those are my two favorite just because the history is there even if it's a, a hilarious stadium in some ways but the it's in the top it's certainly in the top third of stadiums to go to. All right, so top third for uh, for Coors Field. But what about Safeco? You went to Seattle, and that was part of the whole uh, blue wave of Canadian fans basically turning Safeco Field into a home stadium for the Toronto Blue Jays. It was pretty cool going, and everyone's just cheering. It was definitely like a 70-30 split. And at the time, Mariners were very much still in the wildcard hunt, so it was it was pretty bizarre. And you still definitely saw the frustrated Mariners fans being like, "What is? who are these people and why are they down here uh, yelling for a team that's not that good <laughs> right now? Uh, so it's, that, it was all really fun. We were a bit late because we had a three and a half hour wait at the border crossing over to never go to never cross the border in Vancouver. It's evil. Uh, we'll keep that in mind. Everybody out there, evil border evil near border. Vancouver. Um it's kind of like why I say never cross the border at Queenston Lewiston here because it's yeah. always like just go to Fort Erie, folks. Go to Fort Erie. It's like five minutes from from the stadium in Buffalo. Cross there. That's your only option. I uh, didn't realize it was also a, a long weekend. It was August long weekend, so we were. I was like, why are there so many people with boats? And uh, did anyone ask you if you spoke English? No. No. Why? Is that a thing that, that that's happened to you? Uh, I think it happened to us when we went to Buffalo. At the border? At the border. Someone rolled down their window and... and you know, oh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> oh, yeah, in the seat, they were like... <laughs> oh, from there were like Carolini, Carolinians. They were like, I used to speak English. They, that was, they were deep south yeah, people. They right. were like lost. And they, then they, had, they crossed the border accidentally. I th- that's what they said. I don't know. I, I don't know. That. Maybe that was uh, an excuse to, uh, to make themselves feel like they weren't quite as, you know unintelligent as they might have been um but that's what they said they said oh we didn't mean to cross the border i just regret not responding them in in like broken russian or something (laughs) (laughs) 
So, so you didn't have any uh, do you speak English moments over there in uh, Vancouver? No, no. That's the only time anyone's asked me if I speak English was in Canada. <laughs> and and not even Quebec, folks. This was at Fort Erie, crossing the border into Buffalo. Um, was it last year for a game? Uh, yeah, it might have been the first game we went to last year. All right, so back to the topic on hand. Uh, you know, how is the stadium? I mean, let, let's get into sort of a little stadium review of Safeco Field. I've heard it's phenomenal. It's really cool. It's right in like an industrial area uh, in downtown Seattle. Like the train literally goes under part of the um, outfield. Uh, just as, just at just past it. It's a cool. It's a really cool spot. It it fits right in with the city. There's no. It just it seamlessly. Um, and we had we were right behind home plate uh, on the top level, and it was uh, it was just beautiful. I thought it was cool. Yeah, it's in, definitely up in there. The thing about the American stadiums that that I've been to, especially the new ones, is that they're all have their own characteristics that are cool, but they all have kind of like very very fan friendly. It's extremely easy to see everything. You can wander around and not miss any of the game. You know that everyone has a story of trying to get from the 200 level to 500 level in the dome and you missed half an inning or a major play and but you never get that in uh in the states especially in the new in the new stadiums well the the newest US stadium I've been to a city field in New York and that was about 2013 and so it's it's already been about 5 years and you know that place was just gorgeous and I had you know seats behind home plate in the second deck which is like the fifth deck in, in Toronto, but it's much closer. And so even up there, you feel like like you're part of the game and it's, you're really in it. Um, that's, and, that's the thing I noticed the most is you're, you're almost on top of the plays, in, in, even if you have, don't have great seats in the States. Like it's designed really well. If you're in the 500 levels, you, you're far away from stuff. Well, let's also not forget, and I mean, this is in some defense of Rogers Center slash Skydome, um, it, it is, I think, the last multi-purpose facility in Major League Baseball. The the most recently built multi-purpose facility. So they were building it. It was the last time concrete was cool. Concrete was cool. But, I mean, they were building it not just for baseball, but for CFL football, yeah. which has an even bigger field dimension than um, the U.S. field. So, Which is why the infield seats kind of squeeze in uh, yeah. to make it more of a rectangle or whatever yeah and i think to some degree that's why you know the upper deck is as far away as it is is because um they have to accommodate that larger field uh in order to you know get put in the way they were designing the seats so in in sky dome's defense everything built after it was purpose built just for baseball yeah and so you, I think you have the luxury of getting those seats much closer. And I don't think any of the, the stadiums designed since Skydome was built, um, I don't think any of those stadiums have, you know, as spacious foul territory that they do, let's say, in Oakland, right? They're pretty much all, um, you know, trying to be as intimate as possible. And, and a lot of stadiums have, like, if you look at Fenway and some of the renovations they were doing... Particularly, like while I was living in Boston and living literally next to Fenway, they were building those um, the Green Monster seats, and they put in more seats on the field or at field level. Um, 
obviously because they're more expensive and they'll make more money off of those seats. But, um, you know, it's something that they still really haven't done in Toronto. They really haven't augmented the seating areas um, to sort of to, to make it more intimate and give you that um, more part of the game feeling. Yeah, I think that's I mean, that's what he, he, they're talking about doing, which is really cool. And I, I almost think you could just get rid of the top 10 rows in the in the thing and just, you don't need 50,000 seats for a baseball game even the even when we could sell it out it doesn't necessarily it doesn't add to anything so you also went to a couple of minor league parks i know um in rookie ball where where the helena brewers play um they're out in the pioneer league i've been to games down in bluefield in the um in the Appalachian League, which is pretty much considered to be the same level as the Pioneer League. And, you know, that's, you know, you could call it grassroots baseball. You can call it kind of uh, lean when it comes to amenities. Um, I know that Bowen Field in, uh, in Bluefield, you know, they'll have half a dozen items on their menu and it's pretty basic and it's a dry field. They don't have any beer. Um, really? There. Yeah. Bowen Field is, does not sell alcohol. Um, and it's, you know, it's very small. And to be perfectly honest, I'm not a big fan of the design of the stadium, the way the seats are laid out. You're actually, even if you're basically the front rows are quote unquote box seats, which, um, you know, they have the seats there for their, like, you know, they're like plastic chairs for, you know, season ticket holders. And then there's a big, uh, walkway that is frequently, you know, being used for families and kids running up and down. So it, if you're if you're sitting in the you know in the stands behind there, it can really take your attention away from what's going on on the field. Plus, it's elevated. The stands are elevated above field level, maybe 10, 12 feet, so that you actually feel a little bit removed and. Even the sounds of the game are really hard to hear from there. Um, especially there's there's you know there's one of these fans in every park, um, but there's a fan who's quite loud and yells um, throughout most of the game, and so sometimes you know even hearing the you know the ball hitting the bat, hearing the um, you know just the sounds of the game, you you feel a little bit more removed in at Bowen Field. Um, you know, they do their best. And I mean, the the, the, the organization there is, is really strong and they really, you know, and they had a great team this year. Um, and they really, you know, try to deliver a great product and they do on the field and, and in some of their promotions. But I think the stadium there and its construction, um, it really kind of, it, you have to work harder as a fan to really, uh, get the most out of that game and really stay focused on the game. Yeah, I, the the stadiums I so Montana the stadium in Montana is uh, it's a feels like a high school stadium. Um, it, actually, the high school where the high school players play uh, is is a better facility than the than the the low A or the rookie the rookie league stadium they have there, which is why they're moving to uh, Colorado into a what it was a triple A stadium, um, just so they can have indoor batting cages. So that this is the last year of the Helena Brewers being in Helena, mm. uh, and so it's it's a cool stadium. It's but it's very like ragged. It's built in the 30s, 
it was it's it's it hasn't been improved much since the seats are falling apart in plastic mm-hmm. uh and there's there's not but the beer in, Hel- in helena montana there's like six breweries and the population of the town is thirty thousand. <laughs> so it's uh one it's an awesome experience i liked it because it was just so like a lo-fi baseball experience mm. really really intimate and cool and uh you know i think it you could probably fit 500 people in the infield. Like, it's, it's tiny. Right. Well, I mean, I will say that they have built, um, they've got, like, a, a little building out past, you know, the stands uh, along the right field line. They, they have built a facility out there for, in, in Bluefield, for um, the players to take BP indoors and, and you know, have a clubhouse. Um, I think, I've, you know, they've actually never let... As far as I've been covering, I've never been able to go into the clubhouse there. Maybe it's just really small. Um, I've been able to get to into most of the other teams' clubhouses, um, so I can't tell you what it looks like, but they do have that sort of extra space in that building out past the, uh, the right field stands um, in Bluefield. So, you know... I think, at, especially at that lower level and, and the, the advanced rookie leagues, they're making do with what they've got. They're in small communities. Um, I think Bluefield is even smaller than uh, than Helena is, um, and you know they are they really make do with what they they can produce there and and try to make the experience as um, as good for the players as they can. I think going to it if you can go to a rookie level. You know, sometimes the defense, you know, the, the play on the field isn't always top top level. You're gonna kick some balls around the infield, but it's it's kind of a really I really enjoy it. It's it's as much as I enjoy going to major league teams games. It's a very different experience, but it's uh it it's really cool. At, and when I was in Vancouver, it was interesting. I actually had to scalp a ticket to get into the Vancouver Canadians game, and that was the only time I've been. I just expecting a regular minor league experience. And uh, it was packed. Vancouver loves baseball, and uh, and they won their their division last year. But I just didn't get a sense that that was what it was about. It was it was they had to scalp tickets. And I had a friend of mine went to a game later on in the year, and he had to scalp tickets as well. And I think they were selling out semi regularly, at least, which is pretty cool for. Yeah, Vancouver sells out most of their games. I think they led short season baseball in attendance the last couple of years. Um, they are, and I think whether it's Staten Island or Brooklyn, one of the two usually has a really, really good attendance base. Um, but I think Vancouver beat them all. And and Vancouver, again, I mean, it's a big city. So it's not like Helena, Montana, or it's not like Bluefield or, or even Lansing. Lansing is a, you know, a small city from that perspective. But Vancouver is a major city with a short season A-ball team in the Northwest League. But I think, and this is from someone who hasn't been out there, but the impression that I get is that they treat it like it's major league entertainment, um, and the fans really respond to that. Definitely what it felt like, for sure. And maybe it was just it was so exciting to go to a game where the fans were super into it again because the Jays have not been super exciting to watch the last couple of years. Uh, and you haven't got that same fan experience that we got in 15 and 16, which was just... It was loud. People were into it. People were cheering. Uh, you know, it was it was cool to see. Well, I think I mean the game we went to in Toronto at the beginning of the year 
I think we saw the best of Jaime Garcia. Um, <laughs> you know, there wasn't there weren't a lot of people there. It wasn't very raucous. It wasn't very loud. I think they did win that game, so that's one of the few. Um, but you can StubHub tickets in the last homestand. You, I could StubHub tickets for twelve bucks on the, you know, ten rows in the into the one hundred levels. Like it's. It's pretty hilarious. It sounds like a plan. I, <laughs> I know. I don't. Yeah, don't buy tickets from. Yeah, from go stop off. It's pretty. It's pretty cheap right now. Um, well, I, I'm also going to talk since we're talking about you know ballparks. I was in Winnipeg and I did write about it on the on the site. I was in Winnipeg back in June, and you know I had a chance to go to a ball game there. Um, I've completely forgotten the name of the ballpark, um, but they're an independent league team. So the golden golden eye gold eyes gold eyes yeah. yeah and I believe the gold eye is a fish because you see fish on all of their merchandise but it was really amazing to me because the baseball was pretty good I'd say it was high A level double A level around there you know the baseball was pretty good um, it was going quickly for a while and then it just slowed down towards the end of the game and I think it went into extra innings that I couldn't stick around for because I had an early morning. I was out there for work, and um, I needed to get my sleep or else I would be a mess the next day. And really, it was it was, it was was like watching, you know, a minor league baseball game in a really nice park. I think they've got a, a really nice, you know, 10,000-seat stadium there. They get, I've seen it from the inside. It looks nice. It's, it's pretty, and they get... They have really dedicated fans. On Sunday games, they'll sell out. Um, I was hoping to see Shane Dawson there, and uh, he was injured, so he uh, so he was he, he was available to talk to, but I couldn't get to him in time. And um, then I I left early before the game ended because it went into extra innings, so I didn't have a chance to talk to him. But I, I really was looking forward to hearing what he had to say about the difference between independent ball and uh, an affiliated ball, but. You know what? It felt to me, and I and I hope that the players, you know, it's I, I just hope that it's sort of the players have the same type of experience that the fans have, because it seems to me the fans have a really high level experience at, in Winnipeg. Um, it, I mean, it doesn't feel like a big league game, but it doesn't feel like it's, you know, it's lacking anything. In fact, they have better food selections than I think any of the Blue Jays affiliated teams that I've been to. They have um, good beer there. They have um, pretty great, like it's a really comfortable stadium with some nice views. Um, you can see the, the Canadian Museum of Human Rights, which is a really unique building right from the stadium. Um, and I really felt like, you know, the fans sort of adopted the players, even if they, you know, I think the ter- the level of turnover of, in players is maybe a little bit higher than you might see for an, a high A team or a double A team. That's what's so cool about uh, getting out west and like seeing a lot of, of of people who don't have access to the Jays on a regular basis. Like we do, like like Toronto people, especially like if it's not. They're not good. We're not going, but they're still going to, to see the Jays in that for that one weekend in Seattle, and that's it's. There's a lot of baseball people, and the in the BNB a lot of awesome games to watch in BC, and the people out there. I mean, the minor it was a Little League World Series team um, is from most years is from BC because they're so excited about about baseball out there. 
Mm-hmm. It's, it's kind of cool to watch. I guess they can play more long for longer because it's warmer out there, but it's it's interesting. Yeah, I mean, they do have a longer season. Um, I was once in BC in February in Vancouver, and people were playing golf. And I'm just like, man. I went to a conference <laughs> in Victoria, and there was roses growing. Victoria is even... In flower, outside. That's ridiculous. Victoria is even nicer. One of the two times I was in Vancouver, and it was the one time I went to Victoria, I came in and there was a snowstorm the day I came in, and the next day it was all gone. Like, there was nothing. We had snow in Vancouver. I got on the ferry, get off the ferry in Victoria. It was like 12 degrees Celsius in February. You know, it was beautiful. So, you know, they, they do have that luxury of being able to play you know, maybe nine months of the year, whereas yeah. here it's five. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's, it's sweet. I still wouldn't live up there, but I, I definitely would want to go back and watch baseball. Welcome back to the podcast. I'm joined by Kevin Smith, shortstop in the Toronto Blue Jays minor league system. Welcome to the podcast, Kevin. Thanks. Thanks for having me, Mike. So let's start at the beginning. Um, You play your high school ball. From what I've been able to research about you, you know, you didn't really get on a lot of people's radars coming out of high school. And you went to college. You went to the University of Maryland. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, What was that like, you know, being a player, going to the University of Maryland, and working your way through and improving every year. Yeah, I mean, from high school, I really wasn't, you know, a big-time prospect. Um, come from a small town upstate New York. So, I mean, you know, not many great baseball guys from up there. In the last few years, you had a lot of good draft picks, so it's cool to see, you know, the recognition starting to come. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I wasn't a big prospect. Went down to Maryland. Coach Chef saw me. Um, he loved me and offered me a scholarship on the spot. Um, I accepted it a few weeks later and went down there and, um put on a lot of weight, you know, really hit the weight room um, and work with, you know, Coach Bond, Coach Swope, Coach Chef, just in all facets of the game. And um, it was definitely the right choice. I mean, just maturity-wise, what they taught me about life, um, you know, how to conduct yourself, how to be professional. Um, you know, Coach Chef said from the day one, you know, if you come in here and work and you do things the right way, you know, in three years you look up and you like where you are. So, I mean, I have a lot of guys down there to thank, and, and it was a really fun time. Now, I think the biggest thing that people notice about you is your defense. Um, Not to say that your hitting hasn't been excellent, but I think that's sort of the first thing they say. They look at you, and with a lot of guys in the minor leagues, they'll see a shortstop and say, okay, maybe he moves to another position. Um, But with you, they say he's a true shortstop. Um, And I I know you've also been very interested in, um, I think, systematizing defense and really being – really being – methodical about that you know can you tell us a little bit about your approach to getting better as a defensive player yeah it's just always something that I've kind of liked and and had a lot of you know success at as a young age and I kind of wanted to keep that going um I know a lot of guys that go into the cage and they'll take endless hacks or, or you know pitchers that'll you know look at video on hitters or study this and that um but I don't know a lot of guys you know from a young age into college that really take that a lot of pride in defense and coach chef really, really emphasized it in college, so it kind of let me continue what I was already doing. Um, but up north, I mean, I would take ground balls for hours. I really like working at the defensive part of the game. Um, and I think as a shortstop, being able to lock down your position, you know, it helps the whole team out, helps the pitching staff out. 
Um, but more importantly, the coaches kind of feel more at ease putting you there. Um, so that started way back in high school and college and uh, travel ball um, when my coaches kind of prioritize prioritize that for me um, and told me, hey, if you want to be a shortstop at the next level, you're, this is what you're going to have to do. Um, and I'm not really the fastest guy. I never was really the strongest guy, so I took a lot of pride in footwork and getting the balls and just doing it over and over again to make sure that I could get to those spots that maybe I shouldn't be able to make those plays I shouldn't be able to. So that's been a lot of fun. And then obviously coming here with all the great guys that are here and working with Danny um, and really trying to be as versatile as possible. You know, I want to stay at shortstop. Um, I believe that I can. But being able to play those other positions just in case we need to do that or if that's a quicker way to get up, you know, to where I want to be. Um, so kind of having that versatility, but at the same time, knowing you're a shortstop and kind of making that your primary focus. But I've also heard you in an interview where you didn't just talk about um, defense that way. You were also talking about launch angles. You're talking about exit velocity. Mm-hmm. Um, do, you, do you think that's just how your mind works, where it's really methodical, really systematic? Um, and, you know, were you a, a science major in college, or is that just something that you're applying to baseball? Yeah, I mean, growing up, I was always a math and science kid. Um, I don't really like writing essays, but I'll do a math problem for a half hour if I have to. Um, but I just like studying the game in all those kind of areas. I mean, I do. I study stuff with pitchers that are no help to me, but I just like to kind of learn about them, um, you know, with spin rates and stuff like that and, and how guys pitch to each other. So it's really just learning as much as I can about the game to kind of help me in certain situations where if I hadn't studied it, I wouldn't really know. Um, but yeah, I mean, hitting is something, you know, I went to my job for a long time and same with fielding. So I feel like I should know as much about it as I can. Um, nowadays, I'm throwing a lot of stuff out that I learned in the past, um, stuff I focus on that I don't focus on. I work with G, our new hitting coordinator all the time, and um, he's really good at simplifying stuff. So, um, you know, I feel like I've learned a lot, and now I kind of have to throw it out and just simplify. These are the things that I'm going to kind of focus on. Um, I think you can get too much stuff in your head at times, which I'm definitely guilty of. So working with G, who's also very analytical, but he doesn't come off that way just because he's like, it's easier to be simple. Um, so kind of knowing stuff at a complex rate and knowing, you know, the complexity of the swing or fielding and stuff like that and being able to break it down to its simplest parts and saying this is what I'm going to focus on. I feel like, you know, when the pressure gets that much bigger and it's a big situation, you have an easier time because you've kind of already done it your whole life. You just kind of take in information and then focus on the key points. Well, it's a very interesting theory because I've heard a lot of guys, they say they like to work on stuff and practice, mm-hmm. but when they get to a game, you have to throw it out and you have to just yeah. react and you have to just yeah. be in the moment. And and if you're thinking about stuff, it just gets in your way. Yeah, it throws it off. Um, I was talking with G about that actually, about thinking internally and externally. And it's a big thing right now, especially with the swing and guys want to be very internal and think about mechanics and this body part, that body part, and we have all these Twitter discussions. Um, but when it comes down to it, I mean, you want to barrel a ball up. So when you're in the batter's box, if you're thinking about that, you're already beat. You know, it, the ball's already by you. So um, it's really about taking those things in practice, uh, practicing them, but being able to do it when you're not thinking about it. You know, not going into the box and having to go down this 10-page checklist of what you have to do. Um, so it's a fine line between, hey, I want to tweak this and that, um, or do I just want to go out there and compete with the pitcher? Now, you had a, a great junior year in college, and then uh, what was sort of your draft day experience like? The the Blue Jays obviously picked you in the fourth round this year, or last year, and um, you know, were you you know were you looking at 
you know, offers from teams where you're looking at teams telling you we want to take you in this round or this round and, you know, stay by your phone or whatever. You know, what was your process like uh, on draft day? Yeah, I mean, luckily I had a, a great support system. Um, you know, my agents were, were really good with kind of taking a lot of that stuff. And we sat down before draft day and kind of went over things. And so I knew what to expect going into it. Um, so on draft day, it was kind of just being able to hang out, you know, the situations, what's going to happen. Um, or at least a few of them that may happen. Um, but, you know, we were just sitting there, and we were getting talked by a lot of teams, so it was really just kind of sitting there and waiting for the right the right thing to take place. And um, I was sitting there with my family and my girlfriend back home, um, and seeing my name up there was kind of surreal. You know, you've been working for 10 years trying to get, you know, to this spot. Um, obviously, you want to keep going, but that's the first step in, in realizing your dream. So to, to kind of get that and, and validate all the work that you've done up to that point, um, and then just kind of sit back and the next 10 seconds, it's like, all right, what do we got to do to get to the next level? You know, you kind of throw it away. So my family wasn't too happy. I was kind of happy for a few seconds. Then I was back to, all right, what can I get to work on? What do I got to do? Where do I got to go? So uh, I think it was more fun for my family and more like, all right, I need to put in more work now for me. <laughs> so you didn't get a chance to celebrate or you, you, you weren't even concerned about celebrating. You just wanted to get it going and, and start that next phase. Yeah, there was like a minute or two where I was celebrating my family and I think they celebrated a little longer than I did, um, but I was ready to go. I wanted to know where I was going, you know, the whole deal. So um, it was a lot of fun. All right. Well, from what I've heard, that process actually moves really fast. The Blue Jays get you down to Dunedin mm -hmm. into a mini camp, and then so tell us what happened. You know, after you were drafted and and uh, the whole process started. Yeah, I mean, obviously, the thing that people don't recognize is all the people that contact you and congratulate you. Um, and it was fun to kind of talk to guys I haven't talked to in a while and also contact coaches that have helped me along the way and people that uh, I haven't seen, you know, in a while. I've only seen sporadically throughout the three years because you've been at college, so you haven't really seen many people for three years. You've just been grinding away. Um, after that, it was, you know, get yourself packed, come down here, I think, in the third day after draft day. Um, you get down here and you take the bus over with a few guys from the airport. Um, you just start meeting the guys. You start meeting um, whoever's here because it's mid-season for the full full team so you meet some of the staff they kind of get you acclimated and then it's just kind of a brand new life you don't have to worry about school you don't have to worry about any of that stuff it's strictly baseball so it was fun to get down here and meet a lot of the guys and I've been talking to a lot of guys that got drafted in different organizations and like we were really lucky with the guys that we got I think we got a lot of you know good people and fun people to be around um, and we talk about that all the time, like how lucky we got with how close we kind of already are and the relationships we already had going into this draft. So it kind of felt like almost an all-star team for us. Like we kind of knew everyone before we even came in here. Now, when you uh, you were assigned to Bluefield and you got the, you get there, well, you know, was there anybody that you really uh, you really got close with that you you said, oh wow, you know, this is a really good guy. Uh, you know, maybe I played against him. Maybe I. You know, uh, I heard about him, and he's a really good guy, and you're hanging out a lot. Yeah, I mean, well, the first day I got here, I met Casey Clemens at the airport, and we kind of hit it off right away. We were at, we actually got to the hotel, and we were roommates. Um, so we hung out for those weeks, and then he obviously went to Vancouver. Um, I went to Bluefield, and there was a bunch of guys. I mean, I hung out with a big group of guys from, you know, Ryan Noda was my roommate, still my roommate. He's probably, you know, the guy that I've been with the most. We spent the whole season there. He was an infielder. I was an infielder. We were working with each other. So uh, me and Ryan kind of hit it off right off the bat. Um, Zach Lowe, you know, Colton Laws, you know, Joey. You know, we had a lot of guys that were really good. And, 
Um, we had a lot of fun there, and then they got brought up midway through the season, Reyes, you know, Turner. So we had a lot of guys there that we kind of knew about. You know, I knew Noda from the Cape. Um, I've heard of Zach, you know, Joey. I met him when I came down here. Um, so it really felt like we I kind of knew these people already, and it, that was kind of the coolest part was that when we got there, it wasn't like a few weeks of, you know, indecision, you know, what's going to happen. It was more just like we felt like we kind of knew each other from college, and it was just the next step. Now, tell us about the season in Bluefield. I mean, you had a great season. You led the team in home runs. But I think more importantly, the team got to the playoffs. Yeah. It wasn't, you know, the greatest uh, outcome from the playoffs. Yeah. But, you know, can you tell us what it was like going through that season with those guys and, uh, you know, what you learned from it, what you, um, you know, what you maybe were surprised by in the in the game itself, uh, you know, share what you, what you can. I think the biggest thing was the speed of the game. Um, and I was told this from Chef from day one in college and from high school to college. There's a, you know, say this game's 10 times as fast. And then he said, when you make it to the bigs, it goes 100 times faster, you know. And I really noticed that in the first two games. I think I had like two or three errors in the first weekend. And I felt, I mean, you know, the balls come off hotter. The field's, you know, more crisp. It gets to you quicker. Runners are faster. You know, everyone kind of knows what's going on. So it just happens that much quicker. Um, so the game speed, you know, the play of the game was a lot faster. You had to process a lot of information quicker. So that was probably the biggest thing that I took away. And you really had to, you know, anticipate a little bit better, kind of know what was going on um, before it happened, that type of stuff. Um, and then other than that, I mean, yeah, there was a lot of ups and downs, but it was a lot of fun. You know, we had a lot of good guys there. You know, Dennis did a great job of keeping it loose. Um, so that kind of made the downs a little bit easier to deal with. Um, and you're playing every day, so you don't really have the opportunity to go to practice for a few days before your next weekend series. It was if you had 0 for 4, you're back back in the box 12 hours later against you know some Friday night guy that you know you wouldn't see for another week. So that was the difference, I think, is every day you had to bring it. And um, you know it was tough at times. I mean, I struggled at times. Um, Noda didn't really struggle at all, it seems like, from his stats. But, uh, you know, that's the biggest thing was how to bounce back quicker. You know, in the beginning of the year, it would take a week or two weeks to kind of bounce back. And towards the end, you know, you got down to an at-bat or two. So that's the biggest thing that I took away was, you know, you might struggle, but the quicker that you can come back and you can kind of get back on the horse, the better it's going to be. Now, I've heard that Dennis Holmberg gives everybody a nickname. Uh, did you get one? I didn't get a crazy one you know people call me smitty kev kj so um he kind of stuck to those but uh there's there's other ones around the clubhouse that i'm not gonna get out there if they want to tell you that it can but uh i didn't get i didn't get it crazy when it wouldn't fit my personality <laughs> you're just not a crazy guy no no not at all um well what was it all what was it like working with holmberg i mean he's been there for ever almost mm-hmm. um and and you know i think he likes that teaching role where he's getting guys usually just drafted or coming in. You know, what did you get out of that, uh, I guess, that period with him? He uh, he kept stuff loose for sure. I mean, you know, when you see a guy with that much experience, you expect him to kind of be set in his ways, and, and he thinks he knows more about the game, so he's going to kind of talk down to you, and he wasn't like that at all. I mean, he took his time to kind of explain everything, um, simplify it, and make sure everyone kind of understood because a lot of the stuff that we ran into, we never really ran into before. We never had experience with it. Um, and, you and you know, the more experience you get, you think everyone else had that experience. So he was real good at simplifying it, knowing that it was our first time through stuff, um, letting us fail and just kind of letting us learn by ourselves instead of trying to give us all the information up front and, and 
you know, make sure you do this, this, and this. It was more of, all right, last game, you know, you we made these errors and we made these mistakes and how are we going to correct them? So he did a great job of kind of letting us learn from each other. And I think it kind of helped us, especially down the stretch. We had a few stretches of like nine, ten in a row where we were just kind of feeling really good. And that's kind of attributed to our early struggles. And he kind of let us play through them instead of making it, you know, real stressful and, and making guys afraid to fail. All right. So let's talk about this year. What goals have you set for yourself? Um, what do you want to accomplish in 2018? Yeah, I get that question a lot. Um, I don't I don't set personal goals until right before the season um, and because my personal goals are more short-term. So I'll set a goal for a week or two weeks or something like that. Um, I just feel like that's it's more attainable, and I feel like I can take action on it quicker as opposed to saying, hey, I want to be MVP. Well, it's a long season, and you can kind of get caught up in it. So um, for me personally, I won't set any goals for myself until probably the, the week I get set wherever I go. Um, and I'll set, you know, a week or two in advance and, and set a few goals for myself. And then, you know, without two weeks are up, set a new goal and keep doing it. And I feel like it keeps it more fresh and you can kind of act on it a little better. Um, but, I mean, I don't win a championship last year. You know, we, we came close. The Yankees beat us in the semis. Uh, we took a game from them on the road and then they beat us twice at home, which kind of stung a little bit. So, you know, I just want to kind of repeat what we did last year, have a lot of fun, you know, keep getting better. Um, really just improve on everything that we did last year. Um, and hopefully that, you know, we'll come out with a ring. All right. One last question. Who is uh, your favorite second baseman to turn a double play with here? That's a tough one. I mean, Navi was my second base, my second baseman last year. So I'd have to go with him. I haven't really had many opportunities with other guys. But uh, he's fun. I mean, he speaks mostly Spanish, so that's a lot of fun in the field to try to communicate with him. Uh, he gets a kick out of my Spanish. So uh, one vivid play from last year, Navi went up the middle, somehow fielded this play. And we've been talking about this for months now, about if you come up the middle and you feel like you can't make the throw, flip it to me, and then I'll make the throw over. And we always laughed about it, and the coaches thought it was funny because we'd practice it. And uh, this is late. This is like late game, late in the season. And he comes over, and I just got a feeling. And he almost he got caught it and just made eye contact with me. Flipped it to me. We ended up getting the runner out. And uh, we come in, and Dennis is going nuts. Um, but it was kind of surreal because there was a part in the game where if you told me about it, I'd be like, I would never try that play. But uh, that's just kind of who Navi is, and he didn't really care. He came off the field. He's like, I'd do it again. I'd do it again. So, uh, yeah, he's a, he's a lot of fun to have in the field. Hopefully my Spanish gets a little better this year. All right. Well, that's Kevin Smith, shortstop for the Toronto Blue Jays minor league organization. And we definitely hope you have a great chemistry with another second baseman this year, wherever you end up. Yeah, for sure. Thanks for having me, Mike. That's all for episode number 73 of the Blue Jays from Away podcast. I'd like to thank Wesley James and Kevin Smith for joining me. And thank you for listening. Come on back soon and go Jays go. Go Jays go.